Good morning. It's great to see everybody here. Happy Memorial Day. Although that seems odd to say that, since it's a day that we sort of celebrate those who have given their lives in service to this country. But uh, enjoy your weekend. And uh, don't forget, remember the sacrifice that so many have made um, for our benefit. Let's pray before we start. Uh, Father God, I, I just lift this message up to you. I just pray that you would uh, take hold of it, that it would truly be uh, from, from your mouth, that it would penetrate the minds and the hearts of those who will hear. Bless both the, uh, the giving and the receiving of this world word. So I thank you and ask all these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, for those of you who like sports movies, you will probably remember a movie called Remember the Titans. Um, it was out in 2000. It was an American sports drama film. And it was based on the true story of um, African-American football coach Herman Boone. And uh, it, it kind of chronicles as he tries to take a... Uh, there, was, there were three high schools, actually, that were merged together into a single high school. Uh, and basically in Alexandria, it was called T.C. Williams, and this occurred in 1971. Now, <clears throat> the story that the movie tells is true only in sort of the Walt Disney definition of truth. <laughs> um, so if you talk to or read anyone who was actually there or sort of knew, knows the story, uh, they will tell you that the writers took a lot of liberty with the actual story itself. Um, and that, you know, Alexandria did have its share of racial difficulties, like a lot of American cities did, uh, but it was not anywhere near how it was portrayed, which was more like Birmingham in 1965 or so. Now, that said, while the truth may diminish the film as a true historical portrayal of real events, it really doesn't change the fact that what was portrayed in the film was happening all over the country during that, that time. And this was all a result of, of desegregating schools. And so, um, as I said, in the movie, this big change comes to this, uh, this high school and all of these football players because, like I said, these three schools were all merged into one you know, really, really large uh, high school called T.C. Williams. But the thing is, that one big change necessitated a whole lot of smaller changes. And that's what the clip we're going to see right now really addresses. All right, listen up, listen up. I want everybody off the bus. Let's go. Follow me, everybody. Let's go right now. All right, everybody off the bus. Listen up. I don't care if you're black, green, blue, white, or orange. I want all of my defensive players on this side, all players going out for offense over here right now. Let's move. Let's move. Let's move. Let's move. You and you, offensive bus, sit together. You and you. Defensive bus, sit together. Get comfortable, too. Because the person that I have you sitting next to is the same one that you'll be rooming with for the duration of this camp. 
sissies after a cat fight you got anger that's good you're gonna need it son you got aggression that's even better you're gonna need that too but any little two-year-old child can throw a fit football is about controlling that anger harnessing that aggression into a team effort to achieve perfection some coaches may cut a player if they think he's not up to snuff when they think he's hurting the team this is a public school program. I will never, ever cut a player who comes out to play for me. But when you put that uniform on, that Titan uniform, you better come to work. We will be perfect in every aspect of the game. You drop a pass, you run a mile. You miss a blocking assignment, you run a mile. You fumble the football, and I will break my foot off in your John Brown hind parts. And then you will run a mile. Perfection. Let's go to work. Looks like fun, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, you know, the amount of change that the coach is looking for here is pretty significant, right? It's not just a tweak here and a tweak there. He's talking about actually relearning 
basic skills. And it's not just football that he's talking about either. His goal for these young men is to change the way they see each other as people as well. And for some, I think that kind of change can, can be extremely difficult as old ways of, of thinking and doing things are deeply ingrained in us. And as I was working through this, it rem- reminded me of something that I read, I was about a year and a half ago, about Tim Tebow. Now, if you don't know um, the quarterback that has been trying to get back into the NFL uh, for a long time, he won the Heisman Trophy, but um, because of some deficiencies, primarily in the way he throws the football, um, he's not been able to kind of make an NFL roster. And so uh, he did some very extreme stuff. He actually went to these um, specialists, and they initially they put these sensors all over his body, and then they filmed him throwing a football with eight different cameras rolling at 1,000 frames per second. And so what this enabled them to do was to create a three-dimensional image of him throwing the football, his actual throwing motion. All right, well, then they they meticulously broke down all the the tiny pieces of the way that he threw the football, and then they tailored drills so that he would, um, so that it would allow him to correct each one of these little flaws a little bit at a time. And so it's essentially the science of neuroplasticity which is essentially the brain's ability to reorganize itself uh, by forming new neural connections. And so 10 hours a day, six days a week, he went out and he would practice these drills over and over and over again, literally thousands and thousands of times. And so his goal was to completely change the way that he threw the football. Now, in the grand scheme of things, that's hugely insignificant, right? It's significant to him, but not to us. But I think we can get a picture of some really worthwhile and significant change in today's scripture. And this is change at an extreme level. And so as we read, you know, through the the entirety of the Old Testament, and we, we see that the story of Israel continues to unfold through all of it. And there's kind of a pattern that develops. You know, God, God gives favor to Israel. Then Israel sins and falls into disfavor. And then they wallow around like that for a while. Then eventually someone gets the idea, hey, maybe we ought to repent. So they repent. God forgives them. And all is well until the whole cycle begins again. And, you know, it just kind of follows through that. And so even though, even as this is happening and we're kind of reading this, we still can catch these glimpses of what God's ultimate solution is going to be in all of this. And that's the Messiah that's foretold through all of the prophets. And so along with these little bits and pieces of Messianic prophecy, there are sprinkled some really wonderful images of the unity that is promised once the king of kings arrives and brings about all of this. 
And so within the entirety of the body of, of Old Testament prophetic literature, there are few passages of scripture that are as well known or as well loved as God's word through the prophet Isaiah as recorded in the 11th chapter, which is known as the peaceable kingdom. So if you have a Bible and would like to turn, it's Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 through 9. And it's up, up on the screen as well. So Isaiah 11, verses 6 through 9. And it says, In that day the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will die, lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion, and a little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put its hand in a nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. Well, clearly something significant has changed in this story. And so as a picture, it's pretty unforgettable because it expresses this reconciliation, this harmony, this trust that has come about over the earth with supreme effectiveness. Now you could possibly interpret this, uh, this image of the peaceable kingdom as uh, the animals being figures for men, um, having sort of animal-like characters. And so you could look at a passage like Ezekiel 22:27 that says, your leaders are like wolves who tear apart their victims. They actually destroy people's lives for money. Or you could look at Matthew 7.15 where Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. Not, but I'm not really sure that's necessarily the, the right interpretation. But as an alternative... Could we not see these animals as representative of different cultures? And if we do that, then this picture of unity in the animal kingdom can be seen as an image of diverse cultures coming together. So if we think of cultures as being analogous to the different animals, then Isaiah 6 through 9 becomes a vision of culturally diverse people living together in harmony and peace. But as Isaiah tells us, that level of peace and tranquility doesn't come without a price. The peaceable kingdom story teaches us that change is the price that is necessary for establishing new relationships and living together. So we're back to change. And so the first thing that really has to change that this story teaches us is that, you know, some kind of a lasting multi-ethnic community can be established only when a certain amount of change is embraced by everyone. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that there would need to be some degree of change, perhaps even uncharacteristic or anti-instinctual change on everyone's part. 
And so from the animal standpoint in the text, the predators would have to abandon their urges to dominate. And the prey would have to resist the urge to flee. Since the mere mention of change often sends people running off in the opposite direction, it's important to be clear what Isaiah's prophecy is actually showing us. And the change that people must embrace is not a change of their nature or their essence or who they are as people. Because to do so would violate a person's authenticity. And it's important that each individual is allowed and encouraged to be the authentic person that God created them to be. I mean, after all, in Isaiah's vision, a wolf is still a wolf. The lion is still fully a lion. And the lamb is no more or less of a lamb than it was before. What I'm talking about here really is not the change of a person or the change of an essence, but the change of a preference. It's the change that needs to occur as a willingness to accept something other than your normal or traditional way of doing things. So for example, accepting cultures that are different from our own may mean surrendering dominance. So if we look at it, there's two kinds of animals in this story. There are wild animals and there are domestic or domesticated animals. And so on the wild animal side, we have the wolf, the leopard, the lion, the bear, the cobra. And on the domestic side, we have lambs and goats and cows. Now, if you were to put those animals together without really changing anything, what happens? Well, for the wild animals, it's kind of an evening at the Golden Corral. <laughs> for the domestic animals, let's just say that their best days are probably behind them. So the big change here is that the wild animals have to surrender the dominance that they have over the domestic animals. In other words, the animals change their relationships. And so if we're applying this to a multi-ethnic church setting, which is what we've been talking about this month, it means that the majority ethnicity in a church has got to be willing to share power with the newcomers who may be of a different ethnicity. It's a way to demonstrate their acceptance of a group. And so the dominant culture understands that they can no longer be king of the jungle. And their response has got to be that they're willing to make changes in the church's structure somehow to better accommodate the new group. That to me is the cultural equivalent of the wolf lying down with the lamb. But I think it's also important to realize that it's not just the majority ethnicity that is making a change. Again, in normal circumstances, if we put the domesticated and the wild animals together, the domesticated animals are not just going to sit there and go, okay, eat me. They're going to try to get away, you know, in any way that they possibly can. So the change they're making is resisting the urge to flee. And so despite probably a great deal of uneasiness with that decision, 
they decide to kind of hang out with this other group and see what happens. And what, what I don't want to have lost in all of the, you know, the discussions that we've had and the, the messages that have been given about this need to change or this need to, um, to, to surrender some power or some dominance is that there's only one group that's doing the changing here. There's not. We need to stop and think for a moment about the courage that it takes to walk into a place that you know pretty much right away you're not like everybody else. You're in the minority. I can still remember the first time I walked into a classroom at Virginia Union University. It was a bit of an uncomfortable feeling. But I also remember how welcome the people there made me feel that day. Now I know as a whole, we as a church really do a good job of exuding that kind of welcoming atmosphere. And so today I simply encourage you to keep it up, you know, to keep doing those things, to go out of your way to welcome someone, to ask them if there's anything you can help them with, to perhaps give them your phone number, your email, and say, hey, if there's you know, anything I can help you with, please don't hesitate to give me a call or, or send me an email. That sort of thing. And the second thing that accepting cultures requires is that we adjust our personal preferences. And in the case of the story, the animals change their diet. Now, it's a similar change, but it's a little more subtle. And so, in a lot of ways, accepting a new culture that's different from your own is kind of like changing your diet so as to eat healthier. Now, the healthier foods I, I put may not taste as good. I probably should have put won't taste as good <laughs> or be as personally satisfying. Broccoli, mashed potatoes... It's really no contest. But the change is worth it, right? Because you feel better, and surprisingly, your clothes are not quite as tight as they once were. And so similarly, when you know some sort of a culturally different thing is introduced into a church or a worship service, you may not like it so much at first. But then, if you sort of keep in mind what the greater goal is, which is building a God-honoring, multi-ethnic community, then we realize that sacrificing some, not all, but some personal preference is called for so that these new people that are coming into the community can enjoy some of theirs. And so the lion eats straw. Because to stick with beef would not be very honoring to his new friend, the cow. <laughs> now I'm not unaware of the challenge that this is going to represent. So I, I really want to, to, just to say that we're going to approach this whole idea of change in very much the same way that the tortoise approached his, his race with the hare, slow but steady. Okay, so we're not gonna go making wholesale changes in things. It'll be 
a slow but steady process. So now, as I say this, I can almost hear the cries of your heart. Yes, I can. And what I suspect some of them are saying is this. Well, you know, Jeff, I understand what you're saying. And this all sounds really good and really godly. But I'm used to having church pretty much the way I like it. I'm kind of like an old dog in that sense. And you must know that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, did you know that that adage is almost 500 years old? This was interesting to me. It originated with an English animal trainer whose name was John Fitzherbert. And in 1523, Fitzherbert said, the dog must be trained when he is a whelp, or else it will not be trained, for it is hard to make an old dog find a new scent. And so over the ensuing years, this has sort of been summarized into the saying that we're now all familiar with, that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, it's really old, it's really familiar, but is it true? Now you may have seen a show that's on the Discovery Channel from time to time called Mythbusters. And what they like to do on this show is they take these kind of time-worn phrases like this one, and they, see, they try to see, it. okay, is that really true or not? And so the two Mythbusters hosts, Jamie and Adam, decided that they were going to go after this one. So they found a pair of aging Alaska Malmutes who didn't know a single trick. Now they chose Malmutes because in particular this breed is known for its stubbornness. And they were seven years old. They were siblings, Bobo and Cece. And so as seven-year-old dogs, they were roughly equivalent to a couple of 50-year-olds in dog years. So that arguably qualifies them for the old dog category, right? So let's see what happens. Adam and Jamie are competing in the Mythbusters Best in Show Dog Trial. They've gone head-to-head -to, -head to see whether it's really impossible to teach an old dog new tricks. This is their final exam. We have set up a little dog show place here. We have a scorecard. We have five tricks that we've taught them. We're going to see how well they did. With Myth Turn Jess in position as judge and jury, everyone and every dog is ready. All right, everybody, and welcome to the old dog new trick final exam. Adam and Cece, you're up first. Let's start with the heel. Good girl. With Cece in good position alongside Adam and not pulling on the lead, Judge Jess hands out full marks. Nice work, Adam. And that's the story of Cece's day. Sit. Good girl. She obediently follows all of Adam's commands. Down. Good down. Good down. Back up. Okay, shake. Good shake. Very good. Proving that in just one week, stay. She's learned all five of the new tricks. Okay, Nita. Good job. Very good job. The pressure's on. Jamie hates losing. 
he'll be determined to match Adam's faultless performance. Down. Down. Good shake. Good boy. Bobo succeeds in all of the tasks to judge Jess's satisfaction. Bobo, stay. Stay. Until the stay. Maybe Jamie's fur coat threat backfired. And you stay there. Bobo wouldn't hold for the required 20 seconds, but Judge Jess has generously given him a half point for his efforts. Nine and a half out of ten ain't bad at all, so seems to me that you can, in fact, teach an old dog new tricks. I agree. This one's totally busted, and one of the more cuddly myths we've ever done. So their conclusion, you can teach an old dog new tricks. No excuses. Now, what we've said all along here is that it's our desire to foster a kingdom culture in this church. That's what this whole Harmony Vineyard Way thing that we've got up on the walls is all about. Because the characteristics that we have as part of that, identity, mission, growth, diversity, and unity, those are all kingdom culture values. And so a kingdom culture is one that brings out the best in all of the cultures. And so the, the diverse cultures that are melded together in such a way that each one enhances the other one. Where the best of who you are joins the best of who someone else is. And together that puts the best of who God is not only on display, but actively working to promote his agenda. And so to my way of thinking, something that honors God, honors people, and advances the kingdom on earth is something that is worth a little bit of a change and a sacrifice. And as we've seen, new tricks can be learned at any age, no matter how stubborn we think we may be. Amen? Amen. 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 We're going to have a share in communion now, so let's pray. Father, I, I thank you for the diversity in your creation. And I thank you how this story of Isaiah's peaceable kingdom can help us see that ultimately you, it's your vision that all men, animals, would all come together and live together in peace and harmony And how this story can encourage us to do the same right now, in this time. So bless that, Lord. We just ask you now that you would continue sending us people from different cultures than our own. And that we would make them feel welcome. And that through this process, it would make us, as a body, even richer and a more fulfilling experience of your kingdom here on earth. 